Yo, Mars Blackman here with my main man, Michael Jordan. Yo, Mike, what makes you the best player in the universe? Is it the vicious stunts? No, Mars. Is it the haircut? No, Mars. Is it the shoes? No, Mars. Is it the extra long shorts? No, Mars. Is the shoes it, right? Nah. Is it the short socks? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. What about the shoes? No, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. We all feel better, better in the dark. We all feel better in the dark. We all feel better in the dark. We all feel better in the dark. DJ Ferguson H Y. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the new greatest show on earth. Better in the dark. Yeah. Concession stand now, get your popcorn, get the drinks, get the food. You don't want to miss a second because the show is about to start. And welcome to the show with shows better in the dark slash dope audio. Ready to start it? Reality to part it? Podcast excellence, no doubt about it. Uh, we got movies, uh, we got TV, we got Tom and D. Get where you need to be so you can digest all the words they digress. Better get paper ready for the viewers they present. Uh, DJ, uh, Ferguson, Brooklyn in the house, dream team, heaven sent, but they will bust your ass if your shit come back, call it living color cause our homies don't play that, facts only, fashion your facsimiles, but ain't no power greater than the BITD, so you can get with this, or you can get with that, just know this show is where it's always Welcome at, welcome to the big show, brought to you from the BK, home of Jay-Z and Biggie, what's really left to say to the boroughs, it's time for better in the dark. Yeah, got time on my left, Derek on my right, bust ahead, serving notice all damn night. Tell your baby mamas, it's time for better in the dark. Yeah, and we out. And until we get back in touch with you. So watch that rabbit. Hey, so <laughs> this week, David Lynch announced that he doesn't think he's going to be making another movie anytime soon, if ever. Several months ago, in a very famous speech that was kind of posted a lot of places on the internet. Uh, no, I posted it on Better in It the was Dark. a commencement speech, I think, if yeah. I remember correctly. Steve Soderbergh pretty much said, I'm not making another movie. I'll mm-hmm. still do miniseries and TV movies, but I'm not doing anything theatrical anymore. The story that I heard about his recent movie, Behind the Candelabra, mm-hmm. the Liberace biopic he did right. with Michael Douglas and Matt Damon, he said he would do it only if they did it for HBO, not right. as a theatrical feature, because he said, first of all, people aren't going to go see it. And he, he, as well as other directors that we're going to be discussing in this point five, we see more and more a migration of not only directors but movie stars and writers right. going to places like HBO and Showtime and things like that to make movies now. Theatrical features don't hold any more interest for them. Another person who has said that he's thinking about doing the retiring is Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Who says he doesn't want to do digital movies. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino, I think he said he's going to make one or two more movies maybe, but then he's going to go strictly to writing. He said he's going to start writing novels. George Lucas. After the Red Tails debacle, as we all know, he sold the Star Wars franchise, The Mouse, and he's staying on strictly in an advisory capacity. But as far as making the movies, he said he has no interest. He's another one. He says he has no interest in doing that anymore. So we bring up all this depressing stuff on this point five, because this is what we're going to talk about. The fact that it looks like we're seeing the death of a certain generation of directors. Well, I don't think it's depressing. I just think that, okay, first of all, when we talk about George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, we're talking about guys mm-hmm. who have been in the business for like 40 years. They're not young Mavericks anymore. They're grandfathers right. now. They've done their thing. Right. Their time is over. This is a new time. This is a new age. And yes, there are certain movies that you just can't make anymore. We're getting into that thing where the independent movies have been conscripted by the major studios. Right. Well, what we've got now is a motion picture firmament where there's no middle class. Bingo. This is what I was getting to. And you, as you, usual, you cut through my bullshit and got right to the heart of the matter. You have the little small intimate picture that plays in a couple of art houses mm-hmm. on a city-by-city basis, and you've got the really big mega blockbuster. You've got your ten-pole blockbuster franchises, yeah. Gone are films 
the like of which Sidney Pollack would do, or John Frankenheimer, kind of middle-of-the-road things, adventure stories, and relationship dramas, and things like that. If you're aiming for a massive super breakout weekend, or you're something that you're expected to make all your money on DVD, and never the twain shall meet. Right. Most of the more interesting directors, they like making those little films every once in a while. One of the things we've talked about when we've talked about Soderbergh in the past is how he would always switch between doing something that was kind of showy, and then turn around and do something very small, like Time Code, or The Girlfriend Experience, the girlfriend experience. Horrible. He would do Ocean's Eleven, yeah. and then he would go and he would do Girlfriend Experience. And he's probably the only director now that could get away with doing that. We had Josh Whedon, who turned around and did a black and white version of Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. He turned around from directing the mega right. blockbuster Avengers. I'm willing to bet that if he hadn't made Avengers, he couldn't have got that made. Bottom right. line. But because he did, who's going to tell him no? So he went ahead and did it. And it's a movie that has opened it up at very limited release. Right. Because he knew it was going to have and a limit. it's featuring his repertory company of actors he likes working with. Let's face it, this is a pet project, a vanity project. Right. He did for him and his friends. Mm-hmm. He got together a bunch of friends and said, let's go make a movie. And there's nothing wrong with that. Some of the best movies ever made have been done that mm-hmm. way. But as you so succinctly and eloquently put it, we're coming into a field now where there's no middle class of movie. Mm-hmm. And the middle class of movies is going to places like HBO and Showtime. Right. As of this recording, the most recent Soderbergh project, Behind the Cabalabra, mm-hmm. was released theatrically everywhere else, but here in America was shown on HBO. And at this point now it looks like that's the only thing that Soderbergh will consider. Yeah, that's the story I heard. He said, the only way I'll do this is if we do a fake tree. And they said, well, let's do this as a theatrical thing. He said, nobody will go see it. Well, There's no giant robot coming up. Well, what's Although, I got to admit, I would, giant robots? I would pay to see a film where Liberace piano transforms into a giant robot he can then get into and fight monsters with. You have all of these directors, Tarantino and Soderbergh. Spielberg. Because everything is going digital now. They don't shoot on film anymore. Very few movies are shot on film Mm -hmm. now. And if they are shot on film, I read an article where you have a lot of theater chains are actually being pressured by the studios to convert. Well, we talked about that at length in the last State of the Movie going. Yeah. Where they're kind of forcing independent theaters to close because they can't afford the conversion. Not only that, but now because the theater chains... Mm-hmm. insisted that there be at least a nine-month grace period between when the movie was in the theater and when it was released mm-hmm. on DVD. Now they're trying to find ways to shorten that gap, including in South Korea, what they're doing now, and this is a way for them to combat piracy as well. They're releasing a movie in the theater and on DVD on the same day, mm-hmm. which is what I think eventually is going to happen here, where you're going to have simultaneous release in the movie theater, pay-per-view, and... DVD, Blu-ray, so that they give people a choice of what they want to right. do. Well, want to go to theaters well, and see Well, especially since we're dealing with a world there where there are commercially available systems mm-hmm. that are kind of affordable, that allow you to have as good an experience at home. Oh, yeah. If you want to spend a good chunk of change, mm-hmm. you can get yourself a TV and a sound system that you can reproduce the movie-going experience in your house if you want to spend a good Mm -hmm. chunk of change. The availability is there. You've got Netflix. You've got Hulu. You've got all these different platforms where you can watch movies any way you want, any time you want, which is what people want to do. And movie theaters really, at least here in New York, if you go someplace, you know me and my wife travel, and if you go to movie theaters in, we just recently went to Virginia Beach, Right. The theaters there, no comparison. Much better. Seats are more comfortable. Seats are bigger. Right. To accommodate people of size like we are. Mm-hmm. It's just a better movie going experience elsewhere. Here in New York, as you know, you got to be a little bit selective about where you go to the movies. You don't want to go to this theater on this certain day because you know who's going to go there. You don't want to go to that theater because they're going to show you 45 minutes of fucking commercials. I was rather thrilled recently when I went to see Fast 6 with my mom because my mom loves... The Fast and the Furious, and I want to see Seven so badly. I want to see it right now. I know. I want to see it right now. I know. That was the first movie in a long time that I went to see when I got to the end. I said, I want to see the sequel right, right now. now. 
Well, you, you know, guys... I don't want to wait. <laughs> we went to the Bay Terrace, which is a Lowy's theater. They dispensed with that horrific first look or whatever they call it. There was a crap load of commercials, but I could deal with that because I had a, a whole lifetime of tuning out commercials. Well, that's true, too. What I hated was the first look. That I always first look is obnoxious, yeah. They make it sound like it's such a big service when it's not. It's just more commercials being gussied up. And yeah, that's all it is. Me, personally, I grew up with the movie-going experience. I love the movie-going mm-hmm. experience, and I hope it never goes away. But I'm thinking more and more and more that this, especially when you have directors, because what are we going to end up with? We're going to end up with just blockbuster movies? It's like trying to exist on a steady diet of steak every day. You mm-hmm. can't eat steak three right. times a day every day. Sometimes Once in a while, want you, want, you want a hamburger. Sometimes right. you want chicken, yeah. Right. Sometimes you want fish. But... Is it what? So, if we're saying the blockbuster people like McGee <laughs> and their lot are steak, yeah, that says a lot about it. Yeah, the movie going steak does, does it? Does, does that it? mean that Steve Soderbergh is a fish? He's filet mignon. Okay, I'd say like maybe Tarantino is sushi. Yeah, he's not for everybody's taste, but when he clicks. It's good when he isn't. <laughs> when you have guys like Tarantino who says that they're tired of making movies. And Tarantino's not an old guy. He's in his prime as right. far as movie makers go. When you Although, to be fair, I wonder if part of what Tarantino is feeling is the loss of his longtime partner, his editor. Yeah, that could have something you to do with it. You know, if I was on a Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema on a roundtable mm-hmm. discussing Django Unchained, and we were speculating on the fact that since this is the first film that he did without that editor, if it felt more bloated than most of his other films did. Right, because I do hear that complaint from people. People say, oh, well, it was just too long. There were certain scenes that couldn't have been cut out. It's interesting you bring up that thing about the editor, because then that makes me wonder if that's why. Because when I tell mm-hmm. people that Zoe Bell was in the movie, they said, no, she is. I said, yes, she is. She's a woman yeah. with her face half covered. There was a whole subplot there explaining her character, setting her up as the bad guy for the sequel that never made it into the movie. Right. And I'm wondering, what was up with that? And I was wondering if that had something to do with that he wasn't working with his long right. time. Mm-hmm. The editor, well, she probably would have said, well, you need to have this in here somewhere. Yeah. So I don't know. It just depresses me when I hear guys like Tarantino and Soderbergh. Because this is an art form that they love. These guys were not old. They're in their prime. And they're walking away from it. And I can kind of understand it because everything is so driven now by how much a movie makes. Again, what's that opening weekend gross? There was even a clock on some website. The countdown to Man of Steel. And they were counting up how much it was making over the weekend. Hour by hour, you got an update. Doesn't anybody care if it's a good movie that you enjoy anymore? Is it all about... Well, it's no, that happens afterward. You'll notice nowadays, if the movie doesn't make a lot of money, oh, that movie sucked. And then about three or four years later, if it's been on DVD for a while, comes the groundswell of people going, it didn't suck. Perfect example, I'm going to tell you. Now, all of a sudden, Superman Returns is a brilliant movie. Everybody loves Superman Returns now. Well, not you. No, it's not. Well, well, no, it's not. But what I'm saying is that now, all of a sudden, people are talking about, well, in comparison to Man of Steel, Superman Returns wasn't that bad. What?! That's not what I'm talking about. That's fanboy fickleness. Okay. That's Fair what enough. that is. It's the either-or mentality of the fanboys that we have railed against in the past. We can either have Superman Returns or Man of Steel. If we don't like Man of Steel, then the previous thing has to be better. I got you. There's too much emphasis placed on opening weekend, franchises, tentpole movies. Because Recognizable you know, names. Because I'm sure... If Soderbergh decided he wanted to do Ocean's 14 now, right? No, Ocean's... Oh, yeah, right, Ocean's 14, yeah. If he wanted to do Ocean's 14, or if he decided, for some reason, he wanted to do, oh, I don't know, Captain America 3, the door would be wide open. Right. We'll be like, oh, come on in, Steve. Have some champagne, have some chips, have whatever you want. You you want a hooker? Fine, we'll get you a hooker. You can do blow off our ass. Hey, works for me. Have you ever tried blowing a... It's not easy. And I've broken them. <laughs> no, I'm trying to think about how much to reveal about my sordid past. Oh! <laughs> but you and I could sit here and we could go for another hour just listing directors from the 60s and 70s and 80s who couldn't have a career today, given the current state of the movie industry the way it is. Ivan Reitman. Ivan Reitman, nope. Blake Edwards. Don Siegel. Peck and Paul. Peck and Paul couldn't have no. Yeah, I know, I know. I said it again. Shut up. Alan Rudolph. 
Nope. Alan Rudolph. One of our absolute favorite, favorite directors. directors. Couldn't have a career today. John Frankenheimer. Nope. Roger Klaus. Oh, yeah. None of these. None, None of these, these guys. guys could have a career today. The only guy that was able to make the transition and survive it, that was because he changed up how he did things with Roger Corman. He's he like went, one of the few from the old school that's still... You could say, once again, he's a trailblazer, because what did he do? After a while, he decided to bring New Concord to direct to video. I think that Corman saw which way things were going. And he said, I'm not going to wait until I'm forced to do this. I'm just going to go ahead I'm going to do it myself. And right. yeah, he went straight to DVD, because that's the way we're going to go. Right. In one episode... You put your finger right on it, and that the B movie industry doesn't exist anymore right. except in direct the video. video. Right. We don't have theatrical B movies anymore. Or if they are B movies, they're B movies made with A movie budgets. Which makes no sense. Like Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino, effectively, he does make B movies. Right. It's just that they're so big and over the top, they mm -hmm. feel like A movies. But that's what he's really doing. He and also because he only makes one movie every five years, every time one comes out, it's an event. Exactly. Which is how it should be. I can't imagine Quentin Tarantino, although I'm pretty sure he could do it if he wanted to, crank out a new movie every year yeah. or two. Here's another person who probably wouldn't have had a career right now. Who? Stanley Kubrick. Oh, hell no. Yeah, nah. Kubrick couldn't have a theatrical career. Nah. And I think it's sad that we don't have room for visionary director. But again, you have got these movies that make so much money. Even what they consider a moderately priced movie today million. is what? About 50 to 100 million. million. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding me? Gone are the days when you could make a movie for 10 million bucks. Or 10, even less. Yeah, 8 to 10 million dollars, which is how much average movie back in the 70s. Right. You had a lot cost even less than that. You can't do that anymore. Now there are some TV shows that cost more than a million dollars. Oh, Per episode. It's ridiculous. One of the reasons why they brought Fringe to an end, because it was just simply too expensive right. to produce on a weekly basis. They were spending more than, what, two or three million dollars an episode because of the effects. It's very disheartening to see these people have to leave or feel that they have to leave because of the cost of movies just being too high. And there's such pressure on these movies to succeed. And not just succeed, but to succeed, succeed above... Uh, uh, yeah, Everyone has to beat out the week before gross. Yeah, I was reading today. Supposedly, there's this big conspiracy. You've got all these fans that are urging other fans to go see Pacific Rim on the opening weekend because there's a conspiracy by the studios that they don't want to see Pacific Rim succeed. What, are you kidding me? Of course they want to see it yeah. succeed. This movie costs, what, like $300 million? Mm -hmm. Of course they want to see it succeed. You may not want to see it succeed for because it's not a remake or a sequel to Avengers, which or... it's not Gamera the movie or, or just Voltron sleep. the movie. Or, yeah, exactly. Because it's not Voltron, which is what they want to say. Oh, why didn't they make a Voltron movie? I don't know. I'm still waiting for my Gigantro movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But Pacific Rim was the film that he made because they wouldn't let him make Mountains of Madness the way he wanted to. That's why I like Del Toro. Because, see, he said, let me go ahead and make a movie I know is going to be a hit. Then you will do and Mountains then he of will Madness. Do, oh, he's going to do it eventually. As a matter of fact, I was talking to somebody about this not long ago. They said, well, do you think we're ever going to see it? Yes, I do. Because Del Toro is going to make a movie eventually. I want to make Hellboy. You don't let me make Hellboy? Give me what you got. Okay. Here. Now you won't let yeah. me make Hellboy. Yeah. He doesn't want to make Hellboy? No, 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 no. He wanted to make Hellboy, but they didn't want him to make Hellboy. So that's why he made Blade 2. He made Blade, yeah, okay. Yeah, I got you now. Be more precise, they didn't want him to do Hellboy with Ron Perlman. With Ron Perlman. So he yeah. made Blade 2 with Ron Perlman in a prominent role so he could say, you have no choice You've now. got no choice now, right. Yeah, which is why he's doing Pacific Rim. Right. And Pacific Rim, there's no way this movie is not going to make money. It's giant robots beating up giant monsters. <laughs> they showed a trailer in front of Fast Sex. And there's that moment where the robot is winding up and he's got the big old oil tanker in his head. Yeah, you see him dragging it behind him yeah. down the street and he just, yeah. How could you not want to see that? When Patricia and I went to see Man of Steel, yeah. and we saw that, and the audience is going nuts, of course, when he slaps the monster upside the head yeah. with the thing like it's a baseball bat. And Patricia says, well, I want to see because of Idris Elba. And I said, Idris Elba, he's just icing on the cake. Yeah. It's a robot hitting a, <laughs> a, a monster with an oil, oil tanker. I'd go see the movie just for that scene. Yes. <laughs> there is no way in hell. Well, you know what, what shocks me? What? Since we, we've run a Fast Six a couple times, Fast Six is considered a low budget film. Yeah. $163 million. That's a low budget a low film. Low budget film. To people now. And it's a good low budget movie. It's too, a very, oh, 
I like it better than five, to be honest, and that's saying a lot. Yeah, okay, both of us love five, but yeah, six is icing on the cake, folks. Is really good. Now, if only Marvel Studios had seen that film before they cast Kamora. Yeah. Because they would have said, that woman! Yeah. What's Bring us name? that woman! What's her name? Gina? Gina Carano. Gina Carano, yeah. That is our Gamora. Not that stick insect we were considering. That fight between her and Michelle Rodriguez is probably... In, in the subway? Yeah, that's one of the most brutal fights I have ever seen. One film. These broads are going at it. And Michelle Rodriguez is probably the only woman in movies tough enough that I consider, yeah, okay, she stands a chance against this Yeah. Woman. Okay. Now, you've read my ten statements, and you... you uh, absolutely. And you know that I, I, I made a comparison to a film that I didn't like very much called Dying of the Day. Right. That's what that fight between Jinx and Rosamund Pike should have been. Yeah. But we're not talking about Fast Six. Just no, yet. we're not. But the thing is, is that in a world where $163 million is considered a low budget, where does that leave Steve Soderbergh, who decides he wants to make a $50 million movie about crack addicts on the Bowery? Yeah, how do you go to a studio and say you want to do something experimental, and they look at you and they say, you can do this experimental movie, but you got to get such and such name right. attached to it. And there are certain films, I'm sorry, you cannot do with a major name. No, you know? yeah. You can't do it because it takes you out of the movie. Exactly. Depending on what type of movie it is. If I'm going to see a Steve Soderbergh film about drug addicts in the Bowery, should you use that hypothetical? Not mm-hmm. that I'm saying that he is actually making a movie about drug addicts of the Bowery. It would definitely break my suspension of disbelief if Channing Tatum yeah, was absolutely. the head drug addict. I go see a Steve Soderbergh movie, and I expect that I'm going to see a lot of faces in there I don't know. Unless I'm going to see a Ocean's Eleven movie. Right. Then I do expect to see an all-star cast mm-hmm. in there. Because this is the wrong. For the longest time, Soderbergh was the other guy besides Del Toro who did the one for me, one for you. Right, exactly. I'm going to do this small movie with Sasha Gray as a prostitute. But just to make up for it, here's Contagion. Right. Or here's Haywire. Or here's Ocean's 99. Which to me is an excellent way to make movies. You say, okay, I'll do one ten-pole movie for you. Like, I'll do a James Bond movie for you. Okay. You do the James Bond movie and then you turn around and you do something personal that you want to do. So, okay, well, I got this script I've been trying to get made. Right. It's only going to cost the studio $30 million to do. I just made you half a billion dollars. Give me money. Right. <laughs> the thing that kind of worries me, though, is that um, we're going to use a Zack Snyder as an example. Sure, we all kind of agree that Sucker Punch was him cashing in his 300 check. Okay. But look, he had to do Watchmen first. And I'm beginning to worry that the check earning is going to get longer and longer, and the credit that you get from the check cashing is going to be shorter and shorter. And that's probably what I think a lot of these direct David Lynch. David Lynch doesn't want to do Wolverine in Canada. Admittedly, I would pay to see David Lynch try to do... But you know what I don't understand about David Lynch? Colin McLaughlin is Wolverine in Canada. (laughs) David Lynch could very easily go back to TV and do it. I don't think that there's not a TV network that would refuse him if he came and said, well, I want to do a TV series here. Mm -hmm. And And hell, we're now at the point where one of our recent favorite TV shows, Hannibal, we are now at the point where we're seeing the same kind of really dark subject matters that you still only see on HBO and Showtime and stars are now being explored pretty bold-facedly on network television. Yeah, if you go to FX. I know you didn't see it, but if you have a chance to ever see it, it should be out on DVD. Mm-hmm. And I advise everybody within the sound of my voice, the second season of American Horror Story, Asylum, that thing got so crazy, it right. made David Lynch look normal. This was, seriously, that show was out and out, knucking butts. Just when you thought it couldn't get any crazier, yes it did. It got crazier. This is stuff that we're seeing on TV. So David Lynch, to me, that would be a perfect move for him to go back to TV and do it. Because now he can do it. Although, what, when he did take a, an appointment with a TV network, what did they want to talk about? Did they want to talk about some new idea he had? No, Twin Peaks. No, we want you to remake Twin Peaks. I wouldn't mind him doing... Twin mm-hmm. Peaks, but not a remake of the original. Mm-hmm. If he did Twin Peaks, like he's revisiting it right. today. Well, let's 
get caught up on what's happened to Twin Peaks now. Right. I could go for that. But the Out Now remake, no, no, no. That was unique now, for the time. I, I get a suspicion that if he went to NBC now with something new, mm-hmm. NBC would give him a listen because it seems like NBC has finally found its voice again. Hannibal, I think MB- NBC would be... The fact that they renewed Hannibal for a second season. Yeah. Even though the ratings aren't that great, but this is what we want to be in. We want to be in this sort of... We want this identity. They've got a show finally that the critics love. A lot of critics have been saying, said the same thing you did. didn't suck like we thought it was. Going, It's actually good. This is, you what, know. This is what the following, when it gets yeah. down on its knees before it goes to bed at night, praise it is. Yeah. Because the folly, oh my god. I was listening to the Iceberg and Firewall podcast. It's Daniel Firestone, I think is his name, mm-hmm. and Alan Seppenwell. They talk about current television. And Alan Seppenwell said to the effect of, the following shows you violence to shock you. Hannibal shows you violence because they want to get under your skin. Yeah. It's a different level of violence. And I'm going to say this right now. It's going to be on record, and you guys can fight me about this. I think I've grown to the point where I think that Mads Mikkelsen's Hannibal is better than Anthony Hopkins. Okay, I'll go for that. Partially because he, instead of trying to go operatic. In a weekly TV series, Mm -hmm. it's like a wall. You put one brick on top of another. When you're doing a theatrical movie, you got to bam, come out the right. gate running. Like you said, Anthony Hopkins did it very theatrical because right. you've only got two hours to do it. I don't think it's necessarily a better performance, but it's just as good in its own way for a weekly right. TV series because he's taking time to build this character. I love the idea that you can definitely see what people see in Hannibal. You can see the charisma coming off of him. Mm-hmm. But you can also see that there's, even in the most mundane moments, there's something really off. And I love how he's always offering people food. And you know he's feeding them people. You, yes. know, you just know that. I don't think he feeds people people all the time. <laughs> Do you think Jillian Anderson knows? Sometimes I think she knows. And sometimes I, I, I think, think she knows. I think she knows, but she doesn't want to know that she knows. You know what I mean? Because remember, there's that scene in the last episode where he shows up with all the prep. And can I say that this is the first time I've read... Because I never liked her during yeah. the X-Files. This is the first time I've... She I, was I, so I mean, whiny during the... I'm, I'm actually enjoying yeah. Gillian Anderson. <laughs> I mean, there's that line. Hannah, when he shows up to cook her dinner, mm-hmm. and he, goes, he says, you won't accept any invitations to my table, so I figure this is the only time I get to cook for you. Yeah. She's watching him all the time. Yeah, because yeah, she said, wait a That's minute. That's why I think she knows. He just cracks me up with that with his insistence that he wants to feed people. Like, yeah. Yeah, try this. <laughs> Try some of this. Don't it smell good? Yeah. <laughs> but it's a wonderful performance. He's building on the gun because he realizes this is a series. Yeah. So some things you got to play close to the vest. You can't be that theatrical. And it's the first the time I kind of understand the way the character's mind works, which is that the world's a big toy box for him. He does these things because he wants to see what happens. Yeah. We're lab rats to him. Right. That whole scene where he's talking to the, the girl. Yeah. Well, we don't know yet what happened to her, but we know it's not nice. And she's why you do this? And he just, I just wanted to see what I just want to see what happens, yeah. That's all. I wanted to know if you were going to follow your father's footsteps. Thomas Harris is getting a lot of mileage out of this one character. Yeah. Isn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he must be sitting back and just counting all and his it, it amazes me, by the way, also, that the guy who's produced this show is the guy who produced Pushing Daisies. And they're in the same universe, by the way. Really? I think it's the third episode. The episode with the guy who was using human beings to grow his fungus. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The woman he kidnaps that the FBI eventually finds mm-hmm. is a character from his first show, Wonder World. Really? Yeah, I never watched that, so I wouldn't know. Oh, so, okay. So when Wonderfuls is in the same universe as Pushing Daisies, so Daisies. it's like a big Brian Fuller verse. I gotcha. Definitely David Lynch, if I was him, I would mm-hmm. either go to FX or NBC, because it's like they're trying to reinvigorate themselves with this kind of harder edge, a little bit more graphic. Mm-hmm. Like we said when we were talking about this before, they're trying to do an FX-type series in yeah. prime time, and it's paying off. A number of networks are trying to do this, but it seems like the most successful right now is NBC. That's what the following is, but the following is a joke. The following is brain dead. It's people doing things for no reason at all. You can see the hand of the scriptwriter. You know what's the other brilliance about Hannibal? What's that? Is another reason why I think nobody's looking at Hannibal and going, you're fucking nuts, aren't mm-hmm. you? They're putting him next to Will Graham. Oh, yeah, well, naturally. Who, thanks to the, the performance of Hugh Dancy, is maybe more sane than Hannibal, 
but is definitely twitchier. But he acts crazy. Yeah, he's, he looks like a serial killer. It's like a skinny girl that always hangs out with a fat girl. <laughs> Serious. And yes. uh, folks, I am not putting down fat people. Or skinny people. Or skinny people. Some of you women out there listening to this, you're nodding your head because you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. That there are some skinny women that hang out with fat because in comparison, now they look better. Yeah. It's the same thing with Hannibal and Will. Right. They're saying, well, what's wrong with your friend? Because he's, he, he's got the itchy twitchies all he's the time. He's, he's autistic. And Hannibal is so calm and reserved that he looks normal compared yeah. to this character. And Hannibal is having a lot of fun fucking with him. Oh, yeah. He's having nothing. But this is the I'd say to myself, this is the most but he's had years <laughs> playing with this guy. He's a much better toy than yeah. Jack Crawford was. Yeah, he's having so much fun with this guy. He can't, he can't wait. He wakes up in the morning. What can I do with Will now? <laughs> and the funny thing is, I genuinely believe him when he says that he is his friend. Yeah. I yeah. genuinely believe that Hannibal thinks that Will is a very close friend of his. Yeah. That's the scary thing. Well, Will is nothing but big buttons all over yeah. him anyway, and that's push me, Hannibal push is. Push yeah, push me. right. He's big red buttons all over him, saying "Push me, push me." And Hannibal is doing yes. that. Well, let me see what this one does. Oh, that's what that one does. Okay. He's the first one to recognize it because if his original psychiatrist, mm. the one that stopped seeing him, the one that has the hots for him, right? Who I guess is implied is eventually going to be his wife when Red because didn't he say that in the second or third season he's going to do the silence? Of yeah, he's going to do it in the second or third season. He said at that time we will be doing Red Dragon. Red Dragon, there I saw okay. Right. Yeah. And so Will has to get married. Yeah. Between now and then. But then and I'm assuming that then if they do the Red Burnett, Dragon yeah. sooner or later, the show runs that yeah. long, they're gonna do Silence of the Land. Right. Hopefully. I think that'd be Which a Which means who's gonna be there, Claire Starling. I think that would be a good way yeah. to wrap up the series. Because mm-hmm. by then there'll be what, like in their fifth or sixth season? Probably. Because presumably if they're gonna do Red Dragon, they're gonna stretch that out over a whole season. Probably. Much like they kind of sort of did the Minnesota Shrike storyline was basically an entire season. It was a whole season. Even right, exactly. Had, my favorite episode was the episode with the totem pole because we got Lance Hendrickson <laughs> who back in the late 90s was catching serial killers he was catching serial killers now he is one so how do they catch him just by showing how pathetic he is and Lance Henderson is a guy that looks like a serial yeah. killer anyway, so it's dream casting. But yeah, I would imagine that that would be a good way just to wrap up the whole series because in the movie, the right. in the Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal like to gets away and he's at loose in the world. Right. Let's end it at that because we know the rest of the story. Yeah. You don't have to rehash it. We don't have to know. go through the adaptation <coughs> of Hannibal after that. We don't. Unless the only way that I would see them doing that, if mm-hmm. they could do the original ending from the book, right. which freaked out Jodie Foster so badly. That's why she said she yeah. wasn't going to do it. And then I believe the studio's got to rewrite this because, yeah, it's too freaky. Because for those of you who haven't read the book, spoilers, what happens at the end is that Clarice Starling, she becomes a serial killer. Right. And she hooks up with She becomes Hannibal's, yeah. Hannibal's apprentice slash lover. Lover, yeah. Jodie Foster read that. I, I, I got to admit, I hated that ending, too. Yeah, Jodie Foster read it. She said, I'm not doing this shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is why they got Julianne Moore. And she said, but then, of course, they rewrote the ending. I think we've seen in this first season of Hannibal mm-hmm. that Fuller is already kind of taking some liberties. Oh, yeah. To separate. So when we do see Clary Starling, she's probably going to be an entirely different character. I think so. He's already taken a lot of, I think, liberties with mm-hmm. Will's boss. That's played by Lawrence Fishburne. He's a bit of a mullethead, isn't he? Yeah. When you look at the character that's in the movies, he's a lot sharper. As played by Lawrence Fishburne, he's actually kind of dull, to put it mildly. Quite frankly, without Will's help, he couldn't catch a serial killer with a newspaper. Yeah. Wait a minute, and this guy's in charge? Yeah. <laughs> Although, how much of that is that he's been mentally hamstrung by what happened to Anna Chomsky? That's right. My girl becomes the victim of a serial killer in this series, folks, because we've seen how much of an effect that murder had on him. Which episode was that? Uh, episode 6, I think, or 7, where they're going after the Ripper, and they keep getting these phone calls. You, get Jack, you know what happened? Calls. I had that episode. I started watching okay. it, and something happened. It didn't record the whole thing, I think because uh, it was a thunderstorm. But I did read up later on and find out, well, that's what happened in that one. Actually, uh, that's the one that introduced the character that Eddie uh, Izzard played. Yeah, yeah, Eddie Izzard. Okay, then I did see that one then. Because I'm two episodes, the last two episodes I have. Two episodes. Right. I've got the last two on my DVR. I don't think I've watched them yet. Because I usually watch Hannibal on Sundays. Yeah. I record it Thursday and then I watch it Sundays. Mm -hmm. So I got to catch up on my 
Hannibal because it's over for the season. Right. It's, it's over for the season. But it will be back next year. Oh, absolutely. To our surprise, because I thought that was it. I really thought that they were not going to get past the no, first season. No, apparently it's got a good solid fan mm-hmm. base. And NBC is happy with the critical response it had because the critics are saying a lot of things that a lot of people say. This doesn't suck like I thought it was going to yeah. be. It's actually pretty good. Going back to the following, they went into the gate knowing that they had a two-season commitment, yeah. right? Yeah. So we're stuck with it for But the thing is, there are idiots out there who think that the following was really, really good. A lot of idiots, unfortunately. You gave up on it after what? The fourth, fifth, Three, ep- no. the third episode? Middle, okay. of the thir- middle of the third episode. I hung in there until about the sixth episode. Yeah, Patricia watched the whole season. I said, why you watch the whole... She said, I can't help it. I have to see if it gets any stupider. She, <laughs> <laughs> she said, I can't help myself. It just gets stupider and stupider and stupider. God bless you. Go ahead and watch it. And she did, poor child. I said, are you going to watch it next year? She said, nah. And I'm fully convinced that they only got that two-season commitment on... Because that was uh, the only reason that Kevin, Kevin Bacon, Bacon would do yeah, it. Yeah, Because he needed to replace the Madoff money. <laughs> but his wife got plenty of money. She's she, got clothes. She lost a lot of Madoff money, too. She's got closer money. Why do you think there's a, probably a new season of The Closer being filmed right now instead of her... Girlfriend? Really? I thought it was over with. I'm sure there's got something, trust me, because they oh. both lost a lot of money in the Madoff scandal. Did you ever watch that show, The Closer? No, because, once again, I don't have cable. So. Oh, yeah, well, you didn't miss anything. We somehow got far afield of our subject. Well, yeah, we started talking about Hannibal. With, uh, uh, we like Hannibal. So. We like Hannibal, but we started. But out Hannibal with, can be seen as an example of the type of thing that can be done even on network television. On network television, now the bottom line is that for directors, they have a lot more options that are open to them mm-hmm. now than they were. Because you and me both remember the bad old days where if you were a theatrical director, right. that's all you did. You did theatrical features. It was looked at as a demotion right. to actually do a uh, television. Because this is how your career arc went. You started out in television. You proved your chops mm-hmm. in television doing the half-hour, hour dramas. But the holy grail that you wanted to graduate to was doing theatrical films. You did that for 10, 20, 30 years, and then you ended your career by going right. back to TV. It's not like that anymore. Now directors go back and forth between TV and movies with no problem. And it's not a stigma anymore. Right. Movie actors are the same way. Matt Damon was on one season, matter of fact, I'm watching it now, of 30 Rock, where mm-hmm. he played Tina Fey's boyfriend. Now, we're talking about Matt Damon, right. who's been in major blockbusters. 30, 40 years ago, that was unheard of. Movie actors didn't do that. And if they did do it, they were ostracized. But we don't have that anymore. Actors and directors have this option now. They can go back and forth between TV and movies, and it's not a big thing. So directors are saying, I don't have the pressure of doing a $300 million superhero movie on my shoulders. I can go to Showtime, I can go to HBO and say, can I do this movie? Even Al Pacino Pacino lately has been doing movies for HBO. There's another person who hasn't been doing theatricals, David Mamet. Yeah, David Mamet, yeah. The David Mamet film, I forget what it's called, which was about the uh, Phil Spector murder case. He, yeah, I watched that. He did the movie, and, which, I, and Al Pacino played Phil Spector. Weirdly Sp- argues the case that maybe Phil Spector was innocent. Yeah, it's a weird movie. When you see it, you know why they didn't do it mm-hmm. as a theatrical movie, because people wouldn't have got it. The Al Pacino did the other one also about Dr. Kevorkian. He did that for HBO as well. So he's cornering the market on old guys that kill young old girls. Old guys that kill old girls movie. Yes. Yeah. That's his niche that Al Pacino is carving out for himself in, <laughs> in his declining years. years. Yes. Yeah. Which is not a bad idea because I don't know. You didn't see the movie he did with Christopher Walken, did you? The gangster no. movie? It was a sad, sad movie. I hate to see I mean, it. The funny that thing way. is, is that for all these people that we're talking about that are running away, you get somebody like William Freakin who is defiantly. Staying put. Yeah, he gets to only do one film every three or four years, but they're coming out theatrically, and he doesn't give a shit. Do you also think, and I'm sorry, I have to put a lot of blame on the movie-going public. And when I hear directors say they won't go see these types of movies, I have to say they're right. There's just certain movies that people are not going to go see. Major example that we had recently, getting back to my man, George Lucas. Right. George Lucas had to pay for Red Tails out of his own mm-hmm. pocket because he could not find a studio. And we're talking about George right. fucking Lucas. Because it's not based on a TV show. It's not based on a cartoon. It's not based on a recognizable property. It's a period It's piece. a period piece. It doesn't feature any recognizable actors. This was a movie he had to pay for out of his own pocket because he could not find a studio. 
What does that say when George Lucas cannot get a studio to finance one of his projects? He paid for it and he lost money on it. He was very depressed about that because, he, and he even said it, well, I'm George Lucas. If I can't get people to go see a movie on the strength of my name, then what does that say? And he says, I'm sorry, but that was a movie people just didn't want to see. Maybe one thing we have to kind of accept is that the age of the auteur is over. Yeah. It is. That the age of the auteur has been over for a long time. Oh, yeah. And people aren't going to the movies based on the names of Michael Bay. Because Michael Bay didn't make any money off of Pain and Gain, people. Nah, he didn't. That was a damn good movie. Mm -hmm. I saw Pain and Gain. When Patricia and I went to Virginia, mm -hmm. we had to go visit a friend of hers that was a woman. It's like her mentor. She's in a nursing home now. Right. So we went down there to visit her. And Patricia said she wanted to go see Pain and Gain. And I said, ah, oh, it's a Michael Bay movie. Now, Patricia doesn't care about mm -hmm. that. She's right. like what we're talking about. Patricia goes see the movie because that's what she wants yeah. to see. She doesn't go see based on the director or the screenwriter or right. the producer. Zombies, hey, you like zombies. Exactly. So see, that's why she wants to see World War Z. I said, well, do you know who's in it? No. Why not? She said, well, it's a movie about the end of the world, right? And Patricia would go see anything. That's how we ended up seeing 2012. Oh, dear. But it was about the end of the world. She right. loves movies about the end of the world. Okay. So she wants to see Pain Again. I saw it's mm -hmm. a Michael Bay movie. I don't want to see Michael Bay movie. She said, shut up and pay for the tickets. This is probably the first Michael Bay movie that I can recommend with no reservations whatsoever. Okay. It was funny. It was clever. It was smart. Dwayne Johnson, the guy, is an actor. Mm -hmm. Trust me. I told you that a long time ago. I was really... But yeah, you're right. Most people... Now, don't go see movies based on that. As a matter of fact, they even resist it. I shouldn't go see a movie just because so-and-so is directing it, which doesn't make any sense to me. How can you not go see a movie and not know who's directing it or not have any interest in who's directing it? But see, that's just me. Yeah, you're right. The day of the auteur is over, and it has been no. since what? The 80s? No, no. The auteur was pretty heavy well into the 90s, somewhere around the, the turn of the century. Most people would say that Michael Cimino, that was the guy. Heaven's Gate. Mm -hmm. That was the end. Yeah, of but you still as, as late as 2000, you were still going to a Quentin Tarantino film, Quentin Tarantino, or Soderbergh. a Soderbergh film, or a Spike Lee film, Spike Lee film, okay, or a Steven Spielberg film. Right. You were still putting stock in a person's name and a person's reputation. Right. Whereas I think now, and part of that is also because the audience for movie going is skewed much younger now. The majority of people aren't people our age who kind of trained at an early age to appreciate film mm. by sitting in front of the million dollar movie and right. sitting in front of the 430 movie mm -hmm. and seeing movies from all different eras. These people, they are in their teens and their 20s, are going to see the product, the story. Transformers, cool. Oh, G.I. Joe. Cool. Sorry, those of you who say that the second G.I. Joe movie was a better film, shame on you. Oh my God, that was Just so shame. bad. On you. I went to see that, and you were absolutely right. I call bullshit on that movie because they set it up to make you think that this was Bruce Willis's daughter. Right. And then they were going to pull that bait and switch at the end. Oh, and said, God, yeah, the Shirley thing. And I said, wait a minute. And me and Patricia were looking at each other and said, well, isn't that his daughter? Because that's what they yeah. make you think. They set you up to think that through the whole movie. And what a waste, I'm sorry, of some decent actors. Because Adrian Pilecki is not a bad actress. That movie was a waste of okay, talent all the way around. It was a twice. What was the whole point of killing off the entire cast of the movie, except for people that we didn't see from the first right. movie? As a matter of fact, I don't even consider that a G.I. Joe movie. Because no. there was nothing from the first movie in this one. Bruce Willis was wasted. It was all about, hey, look, here's the Vipers. Here's this toy that you remember. Here's that toy that you remember. Here's Firefly. And I'm sorry, I will take Sienna Miller in form-fitting letter over Ray Stevenson in a dirty freaking ski mask any day. Thank you. And I've heard people say the same thing you did, that they thought that the second G.I. Joe was better than the first one. And I said, you must not have seen the first one. Because the first one was G.I. Joe. Mm -hmm. This was not G.I. Joe at all. You could even see, because I had read that they called Channing Tatum yeah. back to film some scenes. You can actually tell the difference because there's one scene where they're at the firing range yeah. and then all of a sudden it abruptly cuts to their inside of his house yeah. with his daughters and then they cut back to the firing range. It's not even a pretense of doing a flashback. Mm -hmm. It's such a scene that so obviously we just dropped in there. They just didn't give a shit okay. at this point. And yes, I hated G.I. Joe Retribution. <laughs> we both did. Okay. It sucks ass. Not clean ass either. No, dirty, no, stinky, dirty, ass. stinky, baboon ass.
<laughs> Word. Oh my god. Word. <laughs> you look at something like that and then you look at Fast Six, which was directed by Justin Lin, who knows how to do a high concept film. And it's a world of difference. That's a movie we're really going to have to get into because yeah. there's so much about that movie that I like. I liked how they have Tyrese Gibson. When you have Tyrese Gibson as the they voice of Re- realized, Reason in you know, your the movie. Is, they finally realized what a chucklehead Tyrese Gibson's character is. <laughs> and he's primarily there for comic relief. But when he's the one that's the voice of Reason, because he's the one that yeah. points out why they would pick for this. He said, these guys are evil yeah. twins. And I said, holy shit. And I liked how in the climactic scene that the director finds something for every member of the team to do. Right. Nobody's left out. Even though we're dealing with what? About like eight, nine, ten. Justin Lin, he's done three of these. I respect the fact that he ties up all his loose ends in a nice little bow before he leaves. So that James Wan, who's taken over for seven, doesn't have to deal with any outstanding bull. And this is a guy that, thank God, he knows how to film action sequences. So you know what's going on and Mm -hmm. who's doing what. No shaky cam for this brother. Thank you so much for that. There's some weird stuff, and we'll get into that. Mm. Two words, Elisa Pataki. There's some weird (laughs) stuff in that movie, which I wasn't too keen on, Uh but overall I loved it. But the thing is, is that at this point, the movie-going public that is there now, that spends the most money, is the public that did not get the training we got, did not learn... To respect the director and the writer and the actors. All they concerned about the product. The product. What's on the screen at the time I'm watching? Hey, look, it's what... Man of Steel. It's Superman. I know who Superman is. I'm going to go watch Superman. Hey, look, it's magic. I know what magic is. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, it's a giant robot beating up a giant monster. You know what we've come to? God help us. We are now in basically the same phase the Roman civilization was in when they were given the public bread and circuses. Bread and circuses, yeah. Just give me the next best thing to distract me for a few minutes until the next big thing. Which you once know. again brings up the question, where does that leave the great gunfighter brought by the town to save them? Mm-hmm. What happens though after the town is saved? They're still stuck with this gunfight. Well, they get rid of them. This great last group of auteurs, the Soderberghs, the David Lynches, and the like such, mm-hmm. and the Tarantinos, and the Spike Lees, they are those gunfighters. And now they're dealing with the fact that the town is kind of turning their back on them. Yeah, the town doesn't need them anymore because now the town has got Man of Steel. And I know you haven't seen this yeah. yet, but there's one thing that you should be prepared for in this movie. Zack Snyder does not direct it in his usual style. I could see Christopher Nolan's fingerprints You're all not the over it. Brought that up all over it because I looked at it and I've seen every Zack Snyder movie, as you know. This This is a Zack Snyder work for hire, it very much is. I wouldn't even be surprised if Nolan himself actually directed some scenes himself. Mm -hmm. He stepped in and said, Okay, well, I'll do this. Well, this is what happens when you make Sucker Punch, as much Mm -hmm. as we respect that film. This is not his usual style at all. There's something else that really disturbs me about people that go see movies now, they don't take time to enjoy. The meal that's in front of them. Yeah. It's like somebody that's eating yeah. dinner and they're already planning what they're going to have for breakfast. You got people, they go see Man of Steel and then 10 minutes later they're on the internet. They're tweeting about who they want to see in the sequel or what's going to happen in the sequel. You just saw this yeah. movie. Take your time to enjoy it and digest it. Why are you worrying about another movie we're not going to see for, my God, what, another three to five years? Although they said they're going to fast track it for next year. And, which, of course, once again, not to invoke the name of one of our favorite kicking horses. Go ahead, invoke. It's once again the fact that Warner Brothers does not have a effing clue. They don't have a clue at all. And they're already talking about, well, Luthor is still out there. I enjoyed Man of Steel, but, however... See, this is the difference. Warner Brothers wants to make superhero movies about people that they're, frankly, ashamed to call superheroes. Marvel is making movies about superheroes who, damn it, are superheroes. Mm -hmm. They like being superheroes. That's the difference between them. Warner Brothers wants to make these movies, and and it's, it's really not a superhero story. It's a story about a man trying to find his place in the world. No, it's not. It's about a guy who puts on a red and blue costume and flies around saving yeah. people. That's what Superman is. It's not no deep psychological. The movie, it's just too damn serious. They thought they would make it going with the wind of superhero movies, mm-hmm. frankly. The plan that I've been hearing where they're saying okay, we're still on track for Justice League in 2015, even yeah. though we don't have a script, and we're going to use that to launch Wonder Woman. I'm so sick of hearing Justice League, I don't know what to do. I, shouldn't you do it the other way around? Thank you. Please. What I don't think Warner Brothers realized is that Marvel took four years 
to build brand recognition before saying, here's our big superhero. Exactly. Here's our superhero team. They made sure that we wanted to see all the individual characters mm -hmm. by showing them individually and then saying, okay, here they all are together. Here they all are together. You said, holy smoke. And that's what they did not in this one. You and I have talked about this many times before. It comes down to plain and simple greed. They want their big superhero movie. Well, why can't we have a big superhero movie? Well, you could if you took your time and did it the right way instead of you just want to rush it out there. Mm. Now, all they know is that they want Avengers-level money, and they don't care how to get it. Right. Quite frankly. Because the Justice League movie, people have asked me about it. I refuse to discuss and it. And once it's either there are, you'll notice how you've got all those memes showing up now, praising Man of Steel but denigrating Avengers. Yeah. Although I like the response one somebody put it, because there was that one meme where it was, took the six of you to stop an alien invasion, huh? The, the bottom was just like the Avengers looking kind of like... Say what? And then they had the response one where it was the same thing in the top. Well, I understand it took six of you to take care of a whole invasion. And there's Tony Stark going, well, actually, typically it was two of us, and the other four were in crowd control containing the invasion of just yeah, a couple of blocks right. from New York City. How much damage did you How cause? How much damage did you cause? Which actually is kind of silly. I've been reading it that people say Superman had a total disregard for loss of life and property damage. Wait a minute, folks. A lot of you out there have been reading comics for 10, yeah. 15 years. In comic books, there is city-level destruction going on. That never bothered you before. Why does it bother you now? And people have been bringing up so well. It's too much like 9-11. After 9-11, DC destroyed Montevideo, submerged San Diego. I can go on with more examples. Coast City? Like. Well, no, Coast City came before. Right. 9-11. We're just talking about the post-9-11 oh, yeah. stuff. DC is not a company that's known to be sensitive. If you've been reading comics as long as I have, and you've been reading comics as long as mm -hmm. I have, remember when Neymar would invade New York every other year? Well, don't you think that there was collateral damage yeah. in that one? When the Hulk goes on a rampage, don't you think that this could... They Although just I definitely don't agree, because there was that whole period, it was like the late 90s or very early aughts, where John Byrne was writing the Hulk, and he was claiming that every... No, it was a Brian Michael Bendis story. Mm -hmm. It was the beginning of Planet Hulk. Okay. And they mentioned that every time the Hulk went on a rampage, on average, there was something like 50 people died. Yeah. You don't have to come out and say it. Yeah. You kind of, it's in the back of your head that you kind of know somebody had to get killed. The point I'm trying to make is that if you read comics, this is something that you see all the time. Whole city box get level when the thing and the Hulk have a fight in the middle right. of Manhattan. So why all of a sudden now it's a big deal? I mean, some people want to tear down Man of Steel. First of all, I don't agree with tearing it down at all. Does it have its flaws? Yes, it does. Like right. any other movie, it has its flaws. But however, it is not a totally worthless movie. Actually, there's a lot of it that's yeah. very well, good. On my trip to Philadelphia, I had to hear two people talk about what a horrible travesty it was. Good. I just ended up just smiling and nodding my head because it was like, oh, they changed this and they changed that and they changed the other thing and they changed it. I don't mind changes in the facts as long as the spirit of the character is preserved. Well, there are some things that have changed, and I read some things later on that explained why it was done, and now that I understand why they did it, I say, okay, I understand yeah. it much better. It's the first Superman movie I've ever seen. Where Krypton looks like it's a cool place to live yeah. at. The opening sequence of Krypton is really terrific. Mm -hmm. You say, damn, now I want a world of Krypton movie. <laughs> Serious, it's that good. But you'll see it. When you see yeah. it for yourself, you'll enjoy it. And this is supposed to be a point five that turned into a full episode. Yeah, it's pretty much a full episode. And you know what it's closest to? What? Because we evoked it earlier today in this recording session. What's that? That episode, Three Good Time Guys Just Sitting Around John. Yeah. That's because it's just it's hopping all over the place. We just went all over the place. But then again, that's what the people come back for. This is, at this point, we've acknowledged that this is no longer a .5 episode. I guess we might as well do a full... We're going to have the back matter after this, but of yeah. course, we always want to talk about some of the stuff we're doing writing-wise, so you okay. people can buy it and give us money. In fact, if you haven't bought any of the How the West Was Weird books, now is your chance. You know why? Why? Because... As of it was about a month ago, we were informed by Russ Anderson that they finally went into the black. Yeah. So we are making profits now. <laughs> How long ago did we do those stories? Man, I just stopped looking for money for that for a long time ago. Some things I write and I just know that I'm never going to see any money for it. I do it for a lot of other reasons. First of all, because I enjoy writing. Right. Second of all, I have characters I enjoy writing about. And I like having my name in a book with other friends of mine who write. I enjoy it. People think that I live like Bruce Wayne, but trust me, if I was to tell you people out there how much I actually make from writing in a year, you'd laugh. Seriously. You would fall on your back in hysterics if I told you. I'm going to be very personal here for a minute. Mm -hmm. 
I had a relative come to me and ask me, could he borrow some money? And I said, but I don't have it, you know, I don't have that much to lend you. I can lend you this, but I can't lend you that. And he said, well, you can't tell me you don't have any money because you write all those books. And I said, yeah, but I'm not making any money from it. And he said, then why do you keep doing it? And I said, well, I can't explain it to you. Well, this is what most people, I get questions every once in a while from my boss. When do you get money from those? And also from the podcast. You don't make money from podcasts? Yeah. And that's what he said. He said, well, I don't understand. And we got into a little argument about it because he said, well, there's no way you can tell me you don't make money. Look at all those books you wrote. You're making some money. Well, no, nah, man, I'm not making any money off of it. I'm not. If I told you what I made, you would honestly laugh. Yeah. It's fun. It's uh-huh. enjoyable for me. And what else am I going to do with my time? Right. <laughs> Trust me, it's keeping Derek off the streets. You don't it, want it, Derek you, on the streets. You don't want me on the streets, folks. Trust me. Don't me, you can, keep, you can deal with. I'm just a big old teddy bear. Yeah, Tom is okay. See, they let him out without a keeper. So we start with, although the next time I'm in a supermarket and some idiot screams at me, Yo, boss, you got any of those uh, Jordan Retro 3s in your store? Maybe that won't be letting me out with the keeper anymore. See, because at the time that we were recording this, Tom just had to spend a day. Uh, an hour. He, he had to spend an hour at his place of work, and he had to deal with <laughs> chuckleheads. Chuckleheads, as he puts yes. It. Knuckle draggers. Oh, God. Show you how long some of these idiots were waiting. I went to my dear friend Vinny Bracco, who is a KJ. And if you are in the Queens area, Ozone Park, he does a show every Saturday at The Quiet Man. Mm-hmm. And if you're in Woodside, he does a show every Thursday at Shonogs. Okay. It's very good, very fun. There's a free plug right free there. Free plug for, for Vinny Bracco. And Vinny. He got a big job, which I will tell you about after we get off the thing, which I'm not at liberty to talk about. A big, okay. big job, and I'll tell you about it. Okay. He got invited to do a gig at the Courtside Lounge, which is a neighborhood place around me. So I went to go, got to support the team, right? And I passed by the store. And it's about 8.30 at night. Now keep in mind, we don't open until 9.30 in the morning on Saturday. There were already two knuckleheads waiting for the right to buy Retro 8 Jordans. I'm sorry, if these kids got half as excited about, oh, I don't know, history or English literature... Or Richard Matheson. Or Richard Matheson or anything as they are about fucking shoes, the world would be a better place. I hear you. I like nice shoes as much as the next person, but... These aren't even nice shoes! But some of these, yeah. Jordans are ugly people! They are butt-fucking-ugly. Let me tell you something. The last four years ago, mm. they switched to cheaper material. So they're not even going to last you very long. They're charging you more money, almost $200, for shoes that are going to burn out in about three months. But that's not what they're buying them for. They're buying them so that they can say they got a pair of Jordans. If that's all you're doing, then you're a knucklehead. Yeah, see? There you go. But I'm with you. I've never been in the name brand stuff either. I don't pay for... A name. I don't pay to give you free advertising. Right. You see these? Yeah. Thirteen dollars. And those are good shoes. Yeah. Serviceable. Walking. Right. They're payless, so they're animal cruelty free. Screw that. I'm not going to spend two hundred dollars. I think the only name brand stuff I ever bought. You remember members only jackets? Yeah. And we're talking about. You like hear that, that, Will and Sam? We're talking about members only jackets. And we're talking about what, like 1982? <laughs> yeah. See what everybody was buying? Tommy Hilfiger? No. Well, I'm not putting money in his pocket yeah. to advertise his pocket. If I'm going to pay for something that's got a name over it, right. it's going to be my name. Right. Dylan Brand. Yeah, exactly. That's it. We're going to start it. Dylan Brand clothing wear. Well, actually... Get the market those Durango belts, finally. Actually, if you go to Cafe Press, yes. you can get yourself a Dylan coffee mug. And it, hopefully I have not talked to the artists who did the cover for the 10th anniversary edition of Dylan and the Voice of Odin. But I'm hoping I can talk him into using that image on a t-shirt. No uh, Steranko belts, though? Well, i got to talk to Jim Steranko then. <laughs> I'd have to get his permission. I'd have to give him a cut. I could talk to him for you. And he's already got more money than God. <laughs> and apparently it had a session of cream-colored suits. Yeah. <laughs> Steranko don't need my money. I need his money. So get yourself How the West Was Weird. Right. And also available only in ebook form How the West Was Weird Campfire Tales. Tom, what have you got coming up? Oh, no, us? no. We're still in Pulp Works Press. Dylan and the Voice of Odin. 10th anniversary, 10th anniversary edition. edition. A slightly revised. 
Slightly revised, yes. New material at the very front? Yes, it is. New cover, new trade dress, which is going to be consistent throughout the Dylan book, so you'll yeah. know you're picking up a Dylan book. You're picking up a book. That was the advice that I was giving. So that's giving. the biggest thing, though. The biggest news is that Dylan and the Badass Belt Buckle is now incorporated into this first book. Correct? No, it's not. Dylan and the Escape from Tosario. Which was a prelude to right. it anyway, so now I just made that the first chapter. Isn't there a later book that you've got, Badass Belt Buckle's going to be incorporated into? That's in Four Bullets for Dylan, okay. and that's going to stay in there. What I am going to do is... Probably on the blog, I am going to have a timeline because actually, even though you're coming up, okay, I'm doing the math here. Correct me if I'm wrong, you're going to have enough for another collection in about six months' time? I'm hoping to have a collection next year, actually. Okay, well, yeah, but I'm saying you'll have enough material that you'll be able to start compiling it. Well, I'm going to get stories from other writers. Oh. Yeah, this isn't going to be just my stuff. It's going to be writers. I have stuff that's going to be coming out. You know what would be kind of cool? Doing a collection, inviting other writers to do some of the other characters. That's been suggested to me, too. Okay, never mind. I'm not as original as I thought. There's some things that I'm thinking about, but the only thing is, as you well know, it's it's getting the time to do it. There's only so many hours. This is why Better in the Dark is fairly erratic this year, because... Yeah, well, you and I have both been busy yeah. doing a lot of different things. And it looks like I'm going to be even busier next year. This year I've got the 10th anniversary came out. Right. Black Pulp came out earlier mm-hmm. on. I have this Dylan's project that I'm doing that I can't talk about yet because then these people will kill me. i got to do Story for Mystery Men and mm-hmm. Women, Volume 4. Well, mine is done for Which you're already right. in. And Joel Jenkins, he's got a story in there as well. you got the Return of Fortune i got to do the Return of Fortune McCall. I'm busier than a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. Right. And it's not over with yet. So that's the thing in from Polper Express is mm-hmm. Dylan, the voice of Odin. Mm-hmm. Return of Fortune McCall is coming. If you haven't gotten The Adventures of Fortune McCall, Pick it up. Four novellas about the riverboat owning. Not a riverboat. It's a gambling ship. A gambling ship owning. Well, a riverboat, you think about them yeah, things okay, with yeah. the paddle. That's, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> about them things with yeah, the paddle. No, but two fisted mystery man in every sense of the word because there's a bit of a mystery well, about Mr. Yeah. McCall and his. Well, nobody knows who he actually is. He just shows up one day at Sovereign City with this boat and a whole bunch of money and he goes to work. Nemesizing evil. Sovereign City. Home of the Secret Headquarters. Yeah, along with Lazarus Gray, created by Barry Reese. He's mm-hmm. done three books already. He just had a new one, Gravedigger, where right. he introduces a brand new character. So he's got two characters mm-hmm. running around Sovereign City. If you folks haven't picked that up, please, by all means, do so, because Papa needs a new pair of everything. everything. And, of course, finally, Airship 27. And you've got stuff in Airship 27. It's talked about Mystery Men and Women. You're in Volume 2 as well. Are you in Volume 1? No, I wasn't okay. in the first volume. Volume 2, Volume 3, and now I will have a yeah. story in Volume 4. Depending upon how, because we're still waiting for those illustrations, that might be the first glimpse people get of the Shadow Legion. Okay. Because I'm not sure, because I don't know what's going on. How the artwork is going. How the artwork is going, yeah. and how that's going to play out in Ron's mind. I also have a story in Dan Fowler G-Man Volume 2 that just came out recently. So, folks, if you haven't picked that up yet, please, by all means, do so. What else? Sometime this year, I don't know exactly when, Ron says that he is looking for a cover artist now for the Vril Agenda, which mm-hmm. is the book I co-wrote with Joshua Reynolds, which is the team up between classic pulp hero Jim Anthony and Dylan. Yeah, he said that Rob Davis is going to do the interiors, most likely. So he's just looking for a a cover art because he said this is a very special project. So he just wants a very special artist to do the cover. That's going to be out hopefully this year. We shall see. Okay, and we've got Shadow Legion, New Roads to Hell, the mm-hmm. first novel in the series coming out real soon. We're just waiting for those last four illustrations. That's it. The Shadow Legion. So we'll be seeing that this year. That is my hope. Ron saying this fall. Okay. I am roughly about 6,000 words and change away from putting the end to the Shadow Legion Casebook Volume 1, which is going to be the second book in the series. There are a couple of other things, which I've talked about with you, that mm. are in the pipeline for Airship 27. Plus, I just got word yesterday. He's doing a happy dance. Well, that's, in his that I, I'm in a project I was really hoping to be in, which I'm not at liberty to discuss just yet, but it has been approved. Although, I think we alluded to something very similar when we were discussing some recent films. 
earlier in this episode. So rewind the episode yeah, by trying to figure game, out what it, what and it listen is. Listen to it all over. Try to figure out what it is. Here's a hint: it has nothing to do with GI Joe Retaliation. <laughs> Fuck that movie. Okay. So pick up those things because we would like some money. We would love some money. Yes. So hey, you get some good reading now. You get some good reading. So exactly. It's a win-win situation. Gee, started out doing one thing, and then it just became this kind of gabagoo all over the place. So Consider it our version of freeform jazz. Until next we time. We just started scatting all over the place. Yes. This has been Derek Ferguson. And this has been Thomas DJ. Be nice to each other and don't hit each other with oil tankers. First of all, it's not possible. And go see that movie, go read that book, go watch that TV show. What he said. Good night. Would you like some food? <laughs> I made it myself. <laughs> Actually, I should do it this way. Would you like some food? Yeah, do the voice. I made it myself. <laughs> it is quite delicious. Good night. You rescued her. You raised her. You're not protecting her now. You are holding her back. One, don't you ever touch me again. Two, don't you ever touch me again. <laughs>listening to Better in the Dark featuring Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Big Will and the Samurai of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Daniel and Alan of the Fireberg and Icewall podcast, Victor Aurelius of Whispers from the Dark, Eric Frome, and of course, all the lovely members of the Better in the Dark Facebook page. Better in the Dark would have liked to have directed a Superman movie, but knows that Christopher Nolan would just come along and put grotty dark fingerprints all over it. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley, and why not leave a review of us on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at www.betterinthedarksite.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at at B-I-T-D Show, and check out all the amazing music available at www.b-hyphen.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material copyright, Thomas E.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember, it's gotta be the shoes. The badly constructed, poor material shoes. Thought that my life could end at any moment frees me. <laughs>